Chapter 2. First Things First, aka Our Problem with Priorities. The self-care world will tell you to make a comeback. Rise up from the things that have put you down. Make new choices and get yourself unstuck. Never look back. To a certain degree, the message is good. Every day is a new day. What a gift! The prophet Jeremiah told us as much in Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. No matter how horrible our attitude was the day before, we get to start again each day, and God gives us new compassion every day. We can thank God, make different choices, and be different people too. If you quit eating junk food and work out, your body will change. If you make your appearance a priority, learn about makeup, spend time and money on your hair, and buy trendy clothes, you will probably turn some heads. The question becomes, what do you want? What are you willing to work at, learn, read, create, so you can move forward into a different tomorrow? What would you change? The same is true for our soul care, which is so much more important. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, verse 33. All these things is referring to what we will eat and what we will wear and all the things we worry about each day. Jesus said, first, seek the kingdom of God. Seek God's rule and reign in your heart. Seek his righteousness. Do things his way. Luke, the doctor who wrote the gospel that bears his name, investigated the details of Jesus' life by interviewing Jesus' friends and associates. Of all the things he investigated and all the information he deemed important, he included five verses that characterized two women. They offer simple but profound wisdom about worry, stress, rest, and missing Jesus even when he's right next to you. He reports, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Poor Martha was captured and recorded for all time as a frazzled, stressed-out host. Even so, I love her because anyone on a mission with noble plans, too much to do, and limited time to do it, knows the frustration of being paired with a less-than-energetic teammate. She opened her home not only to Jesus, but to his disciples. Her intentions were extraordinary. But here's an important detail to consider. Martha didn't have an overcommitment issue. Martha had a priority issue. Her service came at the expense 
of time with Jesus. She wasn't thinking about her soul care. She misinterpreted what Jesus wanted from her. Far more than a meal, Jesus wanted Martha's heart. Jesus desired Martha's time. It's a super easy trap to fall into. We have good intentions. We think we'll have time. But day after day passes and we fail to open the Bible, fail to go to God in prayer. It's easy for our priorities to get out of whack, not just with the big things, but the little everyday choices too. How many moms spend every waking hour cleaning and decorating the house, making an amazing meal and theme cake for their child's birthday party, only to spend the entire birthday cleaning, cooking, and stressing, and not enjoying the child or the birthday at all? How much time do we put in cleaning and decorating the house, planning meals and holiday schedules, only to forget to thank God on Thanksgiving or to prepare our hearts for Jesus before Christmas. I have a hard time not getting carried away. It's easy for me to dive all in to a yard project or a role at church or more recently, my work. It takes something akin to a meteor crashing into my house for it to dawn on me that things are out of whack. I've forgotten about my soul care. For 13 months, I've been working pretty close to full-time and sometimes more than full-time at a nursing home. On my day off, it's common to get a text asking me to come in. I've been slow to recognize that my work staffing issues do not mean I need to give up an evening with my family. Work would carry on if I were to drop over dead. My family would not adjust as quickly. Finally, realizing I was stretched too thin and there was no way I could continue to work that amount and do the ministry I wanted to do, I sent a text to the scheduler at the nursing home saying I needed three weeks off to work on ministry. No doubt, it was not what she wanted to hear. When I told my husband and children, there were smiles. Seriously? You'll be home for three weeks? Complete confirmation that of course I needed to spend more time on ministry and family. How had I gotten this so wrong? We were all elated when I first started back to work a year prior, but back then we were operating under the impression that it would be very temporary, maybe through Christmas, then March, doubtful it would continue through the summer. Here we were at another Christmas, and my family was wanting their wife and mother and validating that ministry deserved my attention and focus. Jesus was sitting in Martha's house, but she missed his teaching. She didn't get to hear the ways he was working or his explanation of God's plan for salvation. We, too, can busy ourselves with so many good things. Cleaning, cooking, working, weeding, planning, and serving— at the expense of the more important things, or even the most important thing, time with Jesus. He could walk the streets and do miracles and maybe even step inside our church or school doors, but we'd be in the kitchen or the gymnasium or the classroom or running the snack bar. Jesus' words are meant to shake us from our distractions. Quit doing whatever it is you are doing, Martha, Amber, and insert your name here, if it keeps you from a relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't need your soup 
or your clean house or your seasonal decorations. Jesus doesn't need another deal, another book, or another road trip to the NFL game to schmooze with important people. Just sit at Jesus' feet like Mary. John, one of Jesus' closest friends and one of three who comprised Jesus' inner circle, wrote this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, verse 1, 2, and 14. That can seem cyclical and confusing, but John's point is this. Jesus is the Word. Every time you open the Bible or listen to the Bible or read your favorite Bible app, you are hearing Jesus, the Word, speak. When you and I fill our days but don't take time to listen or to read the Word, we can read Luke 10, verses 41 and 42, and insert our names instead of Martha. Your name. Your name. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Everything else will fall short. We can have clean houses and immaculate yards. We can volunteer more than anyone else and sacrifice and labor for great things. But if we do it at the expense of a relationship with God, we will be woefully disappointed. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Oh, how busy these people were as they did the work of God. They were prophesying, driving out demons, and performing miracles. These were church people running programs and planning activities. They were at church or in a Christian school, but missed the reason for being there. They never got around to a relationship with Jesus. Bible studies sounded stuffy. Fellowship activities were where it was at. They learned enough Bible when they were young to get by. They might be on the school board or the board of trustees or serving in the kitchen. They were doers. The People's Bible Commentary on Matthew explains, It is significant that those whom Christ rejects in the judgment call attention to their own works and expect to be received into heaven on that basis. We need to be wise with our time. One of Satan's key tactics to keep us from important kingdom work is to keep us busy with seemingly good things. He'll distract us from what is important by making other things more important than they should be. Jesus continued, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great 
crash. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Take note of the distinction. Hear and put into practice versus hear, but not hearing and therefore not knowing what the word of God says. I'll give you a second to let that sink in. Hear and put into practice versus hear, but not hearing. The Apostle Paul explained, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Romans 10, verse 17. Faith in Jesus is the means of salvation. It grows as you read and listen to the word. To ignore the word, refuse to listen to it, or become too distracted to make it a priority is to build your house on sand. It is to hope you have saving faith on the day you die, but not to make it a priority. It's neglecting your soul care. Most of us begin planning for retirement in some capacity when we are still young. We put aside a little each paycheck in order to slowly build enough money to live on when we're no longer working. And yet, we put so little time into our eternal future, even though we have no guarantee of long lives on earth. If that seems backward, it's because it is. Our first and greatest need is a relationship with Jesus. Nothing is even a close second in terms of priorities. Jesus said that one thing is needed. Mary understood that Jesus in the house was reason to pause, sit at his feet, and listen. Until we learn to do the same, we'll find ourselves chasing so many unnecessary things. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Jesus asked. Matthew 16, 26. Simply put, earthly achievement at the expense of heavenly glory is too high of a cost. If you exercise every day but don't read the Bible, your priorities are off. If you go to work, clean your house, scroll through through your phone, but don't work on your relationship with Jesus, your priorities are misplaced. This is way easier to remedy than you might think. Set aside 15 minutes in the morning, evening, or any time in between. Morning might be the best option so it doesn't get pushed off the to-do list. But if you get up at 4 a.m. to go to work like I do, or if you usually wake up when little feet pitter-patter into your room, evening may be the better option. Read the Bible on your lunch break if it works for you or when the kids go down for a nap. And don't get hooked on 15 minutes. Take what you can. It may be 10 minutes. It may be 30 or 60. That's not the point. The point is getting started. Pray for God to be with you, to help you, and to send a spirit to guide you. Then open the Bible and read slowly, meditating on the words. I stop to look up definitions to make sure I'm getting the whole picture. I'm currently reading 1 Peter. Today, I started chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Verse 1. I pause to look up definitions for malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Go ahead. Google these words, or if you own a dictionary, pull it out and put it to use. 
Then I started the process of self-examination. Who am I envying? I don't know why I started with that one, but I did. Why is it such a problem? Well, when I envy, I'm scorning the blessings God has given me to concentrate on what others have or are doing. I'm refusing to acknowledge the gifts he's given me and wasting precious time longing for someone else's gifts rather than using what I have to serve the Lord and others. Then I prayed God would open my eyes to the hypocrisy or deceit that may have crept into my heart. What falsehood am I treasuring rather than confronting? Where are my beliefs colliding with my faith walk? What have I brushed aside thinking I'm good enough or that I don't want to deal with that right now? Tone of voice. I need to work on that. Too often I'm in a hurry and don't talk to my family in a kind tone. Have I slandered? I knew right away I had. God, help me to, be do, to do better. Forgive me for so easily falling. Tame my tongue and put a guard over my lips so my mouth better serves you. Concentrating on just this one verse will open your heart to the mind of God. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander are so easy to fall into or even embrace, and they will put a wedge between you and God. Remember how he invites us to walk with him and learn from him? Peter gives us guidance to do that in the next verses. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. 1 Peter 2 verses 2 and 3. The note in my study Bible was helpful here. Crave. The unrestrained hunger of a healthy baby provides an example of the kind of eager desire for spiritual food that ought to mark the believer. Spiritual milk, probably referring to God's word, verse 1, chapter 1, verses 23 and 25. The author is speaking figuratively. Milk is not to be understood here as in 1 Corinthians 3, 2 or Hebrews 5, 12 to 14 in unfavorable contrast to solid food, but as an appropriate nourishment for babies. Grow up. The Greek for this phrase is the standard term for the desirable growth of children. The emphasis in this verse is to crave spiritual milk so we can grow up. There isn't much that we should crave like the unrestrained hunger of a growing infant. Most of what we crave needs limitations. I may crave chocolate, but that doesn't mean I should eat it every time I think of it. Shortly after I wake up, I might think of that series I've been watching one episode at a time with my family, but that doesn't mean I should spend the day binging instead of being productive with my time. Time with the Lord is different. Peter knew how easy it would be for us to be distracted. He knew as well as anyone that if concern for our souls became less and a physical kingdom and its priorities became more, we'd be sidetracked and focused on all the wrong things. So he told us to crave pure spiritual milk. That is the pure word of God. I love listening to Christian music. I also listen to a variety of Christian podcasts and programs, but they are not pure spiritual milk. 
They are delicious coffee and sometimes iced tea or lemonade. They add flavor. They lift me up and sweeten the journey, but they can't replace time in the Word. Praying is our chance to talk to God. Reading the Bible is giving Him a chance to speak to us. If we're going to learn from Him, we have to let Him have the microphone. God has given us His Word. In His Word, we learn His ways. We see how God acts, and we even have access to God's thoughts. 500 years ago, the Bible was inaccessible to most people. Today, you can purchase a cheap copy for under $10. A study Bible costs less than dinner and a movie for two. And if you own a phone, you have access to apps that put the Bible at your fingertips. To prioritize is to designate something as more important than other things. Many of us know God's word is of utmost importance, but our actions don't align with our beliefs. According to the definition, I think that puts us in hypocrite territory. Far worse, it may put us on the sand. I love the beach as much as anyone, and if I ever have money and opportunity, you better believe I'd be seriously tempted to buy a house as close to the Gulf of Mexico as I can. But beach houses are only good until the bad storms come. Every year we see the devastation. Wood and stone are no match for hurricanes. It's one thing to lose a home. It's another thing entirely to forget to feed your soul. If, if faith comes from hearing the message, then faith withers without the word. When you stand before the throne of God, I was going to, doesn't cut it. Start small or go all in, but start. Take a bite. Before you know it, God willing, you'll be craving more. And as you get into God's word, pray that he helps you get all your other priorities in line too.